This is Keeping It 101, a Killjoy's Introduction to Religion podcast. For 2022-2023, our work is made possible through grants from the University of Vermont's REACH program and the Henry Luce Foundation's Advancing Public Scholarship Collaboration with the American Academy of Religion. We are grateful to live, teach, and record on the current ancestral and unceded lands of the Abenaki, Wabanaki, and Akosisko peoples. As always, you can find material ways to support Indigenous communities on our website. What's up, nerds? Hi, hello, I'm Megan Goodwin, a scholar of American religions, race, gender, and politics. Hi, hello, I am not Elise Morgenstein first, nor am I a historian of religion, Islam, race and racialization, or South Asia. What you're about to hear is us being absolutely banunos with, at, Leandro Wallace and Jessica Albrecht, the hosts of Engender Conversations. And Gender Conversations is a podcast that highlights scholars, research areas, and projects related to, you guessed it, gender. They invited us to join them for their first season, which is about feel-good academia, and we were delighted to accept. Here is our silly smart chat about podcasting, public scholarship, and friendship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Engender Conversations. I'm here, as always, Leandro. And here with me after is Jessica. And today we have our first more crowded session because we have two guests joining us. Um, here with us are Megan Goodman and Ruth Morgan first, who will speak with us about their podcast, Keeping It 101. I could just introduction to religion. And I have to say, I'm quite a fan and I've also already used your podcast for many um, of my teaching commitments here in Germany. So I also have some students who are quite jealous that I'm able to speak to you today. <laughs> so, but first, do you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm Elise Morgenstein first. I am an associate professor of religion at the University of Vermont in Vermont in the United States. And I research on the history of religion, South Asia, South Asian Muslims, and race and racialization. And I guess I'm one half of the Keeping It 101 podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big half, though, for all your tiny person. Hi, I am uh, Professor Megan Goodwin. I am a scholar of religion, race, gender, uh, and American minority religions. And I am the other half of the podcast when I am not spending most and my best, obviously, time with Dr. Morgenstein first. I am the program director for Sacred Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S, which is a Henry Luce Foundation funded program hosted by Northeastern University that promotes public scholarship on religion. So we love what you all do and we're delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having us. So um, what is your podcast all about? Tell us. Well, we like to think that we're the college class in religion you didn't get to take, or if you are taking it, we're like the salt that makes the dish more flavorful is the way I would put it as opposed to better. That's because you're not Irish. I'm better. (laughs) It's better. And with swearing. I'm saying my, my, 
formal college courses also have swearing in, but that's because no one supervises me. So it's fine. Uh, so the thing I think that we have to offer, because for all that I am being snarky, there are actually quite a number of amazing religious studies podcasts and a special shout outs to folks like Feminist Studies and Religion and Straight White American Jesus and our bestie Greg at Cla- uh, Classical Ideas. There's a lot of really great podcasting happening in religion. So hashtag blessed on that one. But the space that we're uh, living in is, I think, more theory based than most of the programs. We see a lot of interview based programs that talk in fairly sophisticated ways about folks' research. And I'm so grateful for those kind of windows into things that, frankly, I just don't have time to read right now. I wish. I wish it did. Um, but the place that I think we're, we're contributing is giving folks a sense of what the building blocks are for the study of religion. So what are the, the basic pieces uh, that help us not just go, okay, well, Islam has five pillars and Sikhi has five Ks, less trivia and more, how do we recognize religion at work in the world, even if we ourselves are not religious and like, truly, I'm okay, are we allowed to swear on the podcast? Cool. Uh, also, oh, no. why should you give a shit? shit. <laughs> I, I did. I'm going to say it again. Brace yourselves. <laughs> Well, I we have when we were talking about inviting you, um, we must admit we called you the cheat code to religious studies. I like that a lot. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, we we are behind that. So um, how did the first idea appear when? Who came up with the idea? It was a conversation. How did it develop into being a podcast? Well, Megan and I have been having snarky conversations about what's wrong with everyone since 2007. <laughs> and um, everything. So this is a longstanding friendship. This is a longstanding complaint factory um, <laughs> in the best possible way, like in the Sarah Ahmed way, right? So one of our yeah, intellectual, yeah. Uh, one of the intellectuals that has the most fingerprints, I think, all over how we think and how we talk is Sarah Ahmed. Mm. So she often talks about complaint as a method and as a strategy for mm-hmm. world building and for mm-hmm. world demolishing. So it is both a build up mm-hmm. and a destroy. So we've mm-hmm. been having these kinds of conversations from... 2007 on and the way it became a podcast was really a lot of angst and ennui because we want more joy in our work and we want more fun yeah and at the time I was pre-tenure and really in the slog of what it looked like to earn tenure at an institution that I was only the fourth woman hired in my department period um And so what joy looked like in that space was not the tenure track with two children uh, having been born in that process. So when we sat down to chat, it was sort of like, we think we're funny and we get a good response when we give conference papers or when we're out for drinks, right? Like we end up being the center of yelling. (laughs) Uh, So so could we make this a project that then happens Mm. but we and I'll let you talk next Megan but like we really thought this would be something that we monkeyed around with did a couple of episodes 
maybe our friends would listen and then we would be done because who would want to listen to our crazy ranting if you're not also drunk or if you're not also (laughs) like at a conference so you kind of have to be there or one of our students right like a captive hostage (laughs) yeah yeah. I know. <laughs> so, like, pilot. so the reason that I think I'm a good comedian is that my audience has to be there. I'm grading them. <laughs> but but then it turned into something more, which has, I mean, truly still stuns me um, in every yeah. capacity. So Megan, I'll, I'll stop there. What, it, what, what do you have to say about our complaint driven organization here? <laughs> well, I will, I will say, in addition to everything that Elise said, which is correct, and I did the math, which means that we've been complaining together for 15 years. Jesus. Harold Christ. Um, I think the other luminary that we often hold up as having fingerprints all over our work is Hannah McGregor, who is a professor of publishing at Simon Fraser, and who I think lured us both in siren-like through a ridiculous Harry Potter, oh, excuse me, Right. <laughs> yeah, except it is 20 literal degrees here in a Fahrenheit way. Um, so, no, uh, Dr. McGregor lured us in through this Harry Potter podcast called Oh Witch, Please, which is funny and fun and a little bit sticky, but also really smart with doing critical analysis of stories that honestly have meant a lot to me over the years, but also are really problematic in and of themselves. And then the author just, whoo, just dived into problematic. Cloaked. She's cloaked oh, in her. Anyway. That's nice, because I was visioning a pool where she just, like, <laughs> hit her head on the turfy bottom, and it's just oozing everywhere now. Anyway, Hannah not only, I think, uh, with her with her uh, collaborator, Marcel Cosman, made it look both really exciting and like possible to do smart, fun podcasting. Um, But also was really emphatic that more women need to be involved in this because overwhelmingly the folks who are doing the podcasting are uh, white dudes. I I think podcast is the collective noun for three or more white men, uh, 25 to 45. So there was a space where we're doing this already. So we might as well get it down. There was absolutely a space of what if we record, I don't know, like six episodes and we can just plug them in, particularly at the beginning of the semester. Cause we do the same shtick every, at the beginning of every semester. So like, let's just do this and like, Hey, yeah, maybe like Dr. Omid Safi, who is Elisa's, I think, longest standing fan, <laughs> will listen and perhaps use them in his classes. But otherwise, like for me and my ADHD brain, it was an excuse to learn a new platform and like new technologies. So like that was fun. And I'll learn that and then I'll know that and then I'll get bored with it and we'll do something else. Uh, and instead, what happened is that we launched a podcast that clearly landed with folks, which is a delight. And we did that accidentally at the beginning of a I don't know if you all heard about this but there's kind of a big health thing going on for the last two years only it only happened to America so you probably didn't hear but COVID really messed us up uh and so we had a lot of folks who had to do distance learning in very short order uh and in some pretty dire circumstances. So I think the fact that we were both hitting notes that were useful in people's classes and also injected, I hope, a little bit of light into those conversations made us uh, more appealing than I think we anticipated being. So now we're closing in on 80,000 downloads, which is 
bonkers. Yeah. That's bonkers. Like I, if 15 people write a, read a thing that I wrote, I feel like that's a good day. So the fact that like even indifferent <laughs> or captive audience <laughs> ears have, have spent so much time with us is just, I mean, what, what a, what a gift, what an amazing opportunity and like what a joy to get to do it with one of my, my favorite and smartest people. So Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It, it's actually like the, the, the thing that you just mentioned, the health thingy, I think it happened in Europe as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, 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 I did. So that was actually, oh, did it? Yeah. I, it doesn't show up on our news. It doesn't, it's not really. <laughs> we heard something about South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah that was the reason why I, um, yeah, why I started uh, teaching your podcast in my, my classes because uh, we also had to do remote teaching and it was much easier giving mm. you know, much different <laughs> medias to students than just uh, letting them read, yeah. read and read and having no space to really discuss it. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, well, and that's that's lovely to hear and really kind and thank you. And it's also the absolute best part of doing this work is knowing that like we're helping out other teachers. That is the best thing. Um, but I also think even, even when distance learning isn't necessary, the accessibility of podcasts is one of the things that I really love about them and that we've heard really good things about. So some folks process better if they are only listening and not watching something. Uh, we do transcripts, again, very much inspired by disability activists, and Hannah McGregor was another really strong voice for this, so that even if you don't process well without words in front of you, that you can still consume it, but it just, it is a different way to get an information, and I think it is imperative that we provide folks as many ways to get into this conversation Absolutely. as we can. Yeah, thank you for doing it, and doing it so well. <laughs> Can you go back a little bit and tell us more about how it, like, like from the idea going to the practice, did it work out quite well? Were there some problems that you, that came up? <laughs> how was that? We initially thought we could just sit down and chat. And that was a terrible yeah. idea. <laughs> In our defense, we sit down and chat all the time and it works out quite well. But it turns out that like having a conversation with your bestie is not teaching. Well, and I would do you one better. I think, I think, I think you have come at this as like, what is the lesson? Like, what is the goal? What is the lesson plan? How is this teach? And I think I've been like, yeah, but we just, we can only say a couple things. No one's a good listener. Like we don't have a culture yeah. of listening anymore. Yeah. And yet podcasts are huge. So what does that, what does that tell us? And so for us, when we sat down the first time to record, first of all, we didn't have any of the right equipment. Yeah. We <laughs> thought we did, but we didn't know we what we were did. Doing. And we really, like, true to, like, yep. hand to God, it was like, if all these bros can do it, surely we can too. Why would we read anything okay. before doing it? We just know stuff. We're smarter, yeah, we're smarter than, than boys. We're smarter than boys and we have PhDs, so right. mic drop, we'll do it. We had none of the right Let's equipment. Go. We had planned nothing. <laughs> And we sat down and we recorded like an hour and a half and zero minutes yep. were worth it because it was insane. It was like, it was like a fever dream had by someone who had dropped acid. It was all over the place. We said I nothing. I know about that. I we don't made do zero that points. Business, it was bad. And then nope. we were like, all right, we need it to start bad. scripting. But at first the scripts were just little yep. five bullet point um, outlines. Yeah. But then when we started transcribing, 
it was horrible. Megan and I, as you can tell already, come from the Northeast of the United States. We come from Jews and Irish people, all of whom speak in an American dialect known as uh, collaborative overlapping. We're emphatically uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. interrupting each other to build new sentences is the way we show yes. love and that we're paying attention. Famously uh-huh. fun, uh-huh. bad for podcasting. Because when you're transcribing, so you literally so can't figure out where the speakers end. You can't hear all the clear words. It's a nightmare. And since I was doing all the transcribing myself at the beginning, I kind of said to Megan, we can't do this outlining stuff anymore. Like we actually have to write out what we're going to say because it needs to be clear. Both of us have no control. So we need to know when we are supposed to stop talking. And that's kind of how we learned how to script for ourselves. So where we started, our early scripts are like half a page. They're just bullet points. And by now, sometimes our scripts are 12, 13 pages long. And it is, even the jokes are written out, even the interruptions I often write out, um, just for the ease of of transcription. I think we could probably go back to outlining now that we understand what all of the dynamics are, that like we have to have a clear start and a clear end so that the, the, the automated system can pick up on who's talking and then whomever's at actually mm-hmm. doing the transcribing and like fixing it, making sure it's edited properly can hear all the words. I think we've learned enough now to know how to do that without a word for word transcription, but transcription services can't pick up on non-English words, nor do they pick up on accents, nor do they pick up on quite a lot of what we say in religious studies because we have all these theory words. So having some of it scripted, I think will always be imperative for us, like methodologically, just because we care so much about the accessibility yep. piece. And no one has the 12 yep, hours it absolutely. was taking to transcribe a 30 minute episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is a space where we're also grateful for the labor of Alex Castellano and uh, Catherine Brennan, who were our... Uh, transcription mavens uh, because Elise got us grant funding so that we could get a little bit more help. But it is also a thing, it is a different undertaking to transcribe a conversation between Elise and me if I am me or Elise and I know our shorthands and I know the sort of things that we try to say versus, uh, you know, being someone who does not talk to us for 12 to 18 hours a day every day for the last 15 years. Wow. So uh, if memory serves, Catherine, when she cycled off because she graduated, left Alex. Yeah, Alexa. Uh, like glossary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In- of including, our interactions. Including so that- shows and references that they might need to brush up on. Because as always, <laughs> the youths didn't know the jokes we were yeah, pulling on. So they couldn't, like, we'll throw in a Simpsons joke every so often because we're that old. And the... Sure, yeah, but it's like it's season like five, Simpsons, and they were these children born. were pre-embryonic by like twelve <laughs> years, and they had yeah, no idea yeah. what was going on. And so, like this one, yeah. Catherine Brennan, who's amazing, like watch out, she's going into international law. Bless Look her. out, universe! Yes. But she really wrote a dictionary <laughs> of like, and you might want to brush up on Arrested Development. And when they talk like this, here's what it <laughs> means. And, and Elise says this word this way, but it's just because she's from New York. This is this terrible accent thing. It was great. It was amazing. I've Draw. never felt so naked and so completely red mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. filth. Just, just demolished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's 
fantastic, obviously. I will say too, if if this is a question about folks who might want to do podcasting themselves, I was really nervous about scripting because I think so much of what works about Elise and I is uh, improvisational. And so I was worried that if we, we scripted too much that we would lose some of the spontaneity. But instead what has happened is Elise does almost all of our writing and I will like go back and maybe punch a couple places up or I'll add like whatever my homework is for the, the week. But I don't read terribly closely because I trust her. And then I will just be surprised by the jokes that she has written for me. So then I am like laughing at the joke that I am telling it is a, it's a different level of spontaneity and it is also like there is still space for uh, us to surprise ourselves. Like Jesus is a carb is still one of my favorite moments and that just happened. Um, so that's, that part was delightful. The other, the other thing that I will say, well, first is that if you are thinking about starting podcasts, we actually have webinars that we put together for the New England Humanities Consortium as part of our uh, fulfillment of their funding of us. So we have like a nitty gritty how to get into it on our website. But the short version is that if you learn audit or audio editing software in college and you went to college 20 years ago, uh, again, perhaps revisit, look at a direction anything rather than assuming Meh, I can do this because well I could but the reality was it used to take me mm, somewhere between five and ten hours to edit uh, an hour-long podcast and it is nowhere near that long <laughs> now because I have familiarized myself with how audacity works so yeah it is okay to ask for help and even if you are a teacher of anything you can still learn so uh it is helpful to build on the knowledge of others which is a thing that i know but don't do often enough so basically we have uh youth scream in the middle and uh, yeah okay <laughs> yeah. Youths! so you talked about this captive audience you planned at the beginning <laughs> did you when you started actually doing the recording and not being just a, a usual conversation did you think about anybody in particular that would you would say okay friends will listen i anybody else or at the jump everybody? i don't know that we knew who our audience was or would be i truly think that megan and i thought yeah. we would make this for ourselves and we could imagine a couple mm -hmm. of friends who find us kind of silly who might listen mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. And my mm -hmm. dad, totally. And Lloyd, right? Like your dad. I talk about my dad all the time on the podcast, in part because I love my dad. We're we're pretty tight, but also because my dad is someone who struggles to read my academic work. And he does struggle. Like when I sent him my dissertation, dude printed the whole thing out like on like paper one-sided because they only have that kind of printer at home and then like use little sticky notes to to ask questions about what words meant not what's the argument like you use the word imbricated and I've never heard that word before because I graduated a community college to avoid the draft in 1967 right? Like, so my dad is a smart guy who has never taken a religion class. And certainly like, he doesn't understand why I put diacritical marks in my academic work, right? Like basic, basic, basic stuff. <laughs> but a podcast, he can listen to. And he does. So I think that we had hoped 
that there would be these kinds of people, but all in the family, no one beyond us. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. after the first episode, when we started getting feedback that people were listening, because you know we have an active social media presence, yeah. both of us individually, and then um, less so the podcast itself, but 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 it's there. And when we started hearing imme- mm-hmm. like truly immediate feedback that people were listening, we did like yeah. a oh ho, we might want to think about an audience mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of just. Uh-huh. In the tradition of podcasts being a bro and white dominated space, <laughs> talking to hear ourselves talk. <laughs> so that has developed over time. I think we've incorporated more things that look like our classrooms as we learned that uh-huh. university professors, K-12 teachers were using these with their students. I think that we've also added more cursing and more jokes as we've learned that the thing we're yep. providing is comic relief usually amidst a sea mm-hmm. of readings. So we've kind of leaned into both yeah. of those podcasting tropes, um, but but not ever really knowing exactly who our audience is. Because we've got weird listeners, like people that you'd never yeah. think are listening, listening. Yeah, fair. You Unexpected. They're not weird. We're weird. But actually, the I mean, ones that are coming in through my feed. They're not mutually exclusive. They can be people. unexpected that's, and weird. That's fair. <laughs> also that. Yes, very much. Well, it's funny to me too, because we kind of kicked this idea around for a while. And then we decided, and by we, I mean, Elise was like, the AAR is coming, so let's get our shit together. We decided that we were going to record a teaser and a trailer um, and just release them while we were at AAR. Uh, It's the American Academy of Religions National Meeting for folks who are not familiar with that acronym. Um, and so we recorded them and I went to like Northeastern super fancy recording studio and truly, truly blessed the tech that they, assi- like this is, you can tell them at an R1, right? Cause they've got a, a graduate student whose entire world is sound. And then it's Elise and I on the mic, just like fucking around. It was ridiculous. So he was the one who very kindly said, Hey, uh, <laughs> you don't need me. Like I will do this. You don't, you don't need me. You could do this on your own. So we recorded that. And then I truly was like mixing the teaser at the airport, flying out to Denver in 2019 um, and wound up on the same flight as Dave from the religious studies pod, uh, religious studies project. So he was the one that told me about Zencaster, <laughs> which is what we now used to record. Uh, and I could like, I hadn't done this in so long and I was still learning Macs because you know what you should do when you're starting new projects is also learn a new operating I recommend. system. I recommend. This is my brain. Yeah. This is my brain. Welcome to my world. So like, I can't get the speakers to only play through my headphones. So I'm blasting what is now our theme music in a like lounge in Logan and Dave is laughing at me like kindly, but whatever. So I truly uploaded that to Zencaster and then got on the plane. And then we did our AAR shtick, which is talking to everyone. And also we had printed stickers. So we're talking this up and like promoting it, but not because we're expecting anyone to listen. Just and we have recorded and zero we minutes a of a podcast at this point. I want everyone to hear that Correct. we Correct. did a thing that you should never do, which is sell a product you do yeah. not have. have a plan. <laughs> I mean, we are literally selling the Brooklyn Bridge here (laughs) in part. And I think this was part of our strategy, Megan, so that we would be too embarrassed not to follow through. Shame. Shame and spite. That's what powers us. 
Catholicism, Judaism, these are where we intersect. Uh, But yeah, we recorded it. We were delighted, but also very surprised to find out how many people listened right away. Like we had a first day conversation about uh, particularly folks feeling that our, my slapdash first day definition of theology did not represent the full institutional and practical complexities of the study of theology, which they're right. They were definitely right. Uh, I both stand by my first day definition as a first day definition and was so delighted to realize that we were in conversation with so many smart folks from really around the world immediately. Uh, And if we were sensible people, we would have been intimidated maybe, but instead we just kept doing it and it seems like it worked. So hooray. It absolutely does, apparently. So yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can understand the overlapping thing. I I (laughs) Over here is a, a thing too, mm. and you, you have the ability to actually talk and listen to the other person at the same mm-hmm. time. So you can continue mm-hmm. and answer at the same time, and don't have to pause at all. Mm-hmm. And it's a sign of love and enthusiasm and engagement. Yes. Here's the thing, though, is that I am learning in my 44th year on the planet that if you do not grow up with these speech patterns, yeah. and you're accustomed to listening and then waiting your turn to speak, you might experience collaborative overlapping as rude and abrupt and very confusing. So we are living in our truth, but also trying to be mindful of our audiences. Speaking of, um, I I had a question in my mind, but I completely forgot about it. (laughs) We have that effect on people. Just empty out your brain. <laughs> yeah, we're we're disorienting. You should make a note. Yeah, let's say captivating. That's, <laughs> That's yeah. much nicer. Captivating is the word. Yes. Um. Yeah. I. Oh, yeah. I had the question. Um. Concerning like where, like, just in general, where do you see yourself in regard to like? public scholarship and what do you think about I, I know that you have made an episode of public scholarship I listened to that one but um, just for um, this episode here like what, where do you see the importance of public scholarship and where do you see your podcast in it Megan why don't you take this one first since this is a majority of your job and quite a lot of your intellectual work these days and then I'll supplement where possible it, it sure is I think the shortest way to think about it is The academy that I am interested in participating in and building is one that is mindful of and responsible to both our conversation partners within the university, but well beyond the university. Um, Again, 15 years ago, Professor Morgenstein first and I were both uh, graduate students at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which makes us products of a public school system. And I, we took very seriously the fact that the people of North Carolina subsidized our education, that there is a responsibility to share the work that they made possible with them. Uh, Yeah. And I I mean, again, I, I can't tell anybody else what to do, but I think if you have the incredible privilege to dedicate a giant chunk of your life to becoming a specialist in something, your responsibility to the rest of the world who doesn't have that privilege is to make sure that they can access it if they want to. It's also, particularly since I want to say 
2015 or so. Um, we, we had an election in 2016. I don't know if you all heard about that either. Uh, it was a space in... So obnoxious. It's the worst. Uh, I know, I know. Um, this is why they don't like us. <laughs> and they're right. Um, <laughs> but no, so, so teaching race, religion, and politics at Syracuse University during the election cycle that yielded our 45th president, sorry about that, by the way, uh, disrupted some of my assumptions about how I could be teaching and or researching and what that should do. Because I had come in with training that suggested that teaching is about sowing seeds and long games and patience. And 2015, 2016, 2017 did not make me feel like we had that kind of time. And it was disturbing and <sighs> invigorating is the wrong word, but enervating perhaps uh, to see how much work religion was doing in what's now the United States and how eager non-religious people were to just discard that as not worth thinking about. So I was lucky enough to meet Liz Bukar, who was in the process of applying for funding around public scholarship on religion. Uh, and together we formed an organization that is dedicated to teaching folks how to communicate their research with the public. And again, giving them a sense of why that matters. Why, even if you're working on something, you know, second century CE, why and how can you bring that to folks in ways that make them more aware of what religion is doing in the world and the consequences of it, even if you are not personally invested in belonging to a religious community. And one of the, the great privileges of my life, frankly, is the fact that now Elise and I have had an opportunity to share that work with so many people that we would never, never have imagined would <laughs> care what we had to say. Um, so that's that's a big responsibility, but it's also a, a yeah. I try public scholarship a little bit differently as a scholar of Islam whose training was in North Carolina, um, which I said yeah. with a tone which I realize neither of you are based in the United States. You might not know what that tone means. The tone means racism. Mm. The tone just means yes. grand old South super Dixie racism. Like Confederate statue on the campus. Yeah. Like our building that we did our doctoral work was named after a Klansman yeah, racism. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not stealth racism. It's no longer, but at the time yeah. we were there, and for the entire time we were there, that's what it was. I also was a college freshman in my third week of school when 9-11 happened. So as a student of Islam since 2001... I have never lived in a world where my work isn't already political. And as a Jew who descends from Holocaust survivors, my body has always been politicized also. So these things made a lot of sense to me in the like, well, why are you studying this? And besides, you know, the jokes your mom would do with like, are you going to be a rabbi? Aye. And like, please God, don't convert, which is also problematic. Um, uh, for me, it was, well, it's a social justice issue. Like, I need to know more because I need to be a better, better, better educated citizen. And then that was before I really even understood what the professorate was or that I wanted to be in it. So once I did all of that, all the things Megan said were true. I was trained by a public school for my PhD. And we were living in an area where 
leftist churches and some not leftist churches, some pretty conservative Bible churches would ask Islamic studies scholars to come into their church and teach them about Muslims. And sometimes that was a really productive conversation, but a lot of times it was a really racist conversation. And so I learned before I even had my degree in hand that talking about Islam was both necessary and it was dangerous. And as a non-Muslim white woman, that danger was less dangerous to me and my person than it was to my brown Muslim hijabi colleagues. And so um, I've, I've talked a lot and, and often on the podcast about that responsibility, but that is one that I have felt deeply, both as who I am as a Jewish person whose life literally depends on people having not been murdered, and as a scholar of Islam in a moment in the U.S. where we have never yeah. seen hate crimes be so high or the danger of wearing a hijab in public be so pronounced. So for me, public scholarship really is a space where I don't see that I have a choice. Like that was never an I, I never thought, oh, I shouldn't do this. It was I better publish really, really well and really, really highly so that I can do this other thing and no one will sneeze at it or say I'm not doing enough on the traditional scholarship route. So having the podcast felt like a natural extension from a lot of these church, synagogue, public speaking gigs that I had been doing really for 10 years by the time we started the pod. Um, and now I just get to swear more because you can't swear in someone else's house yeah. of God. It's really not a good look. I've done it. It's not good. It's not, it's not, a, great, it's not a great outcome. I do want to – no, I – I can't help it. I like when you don't help it. <laughs> I just want to lift up the the non-optional piece because for me, public scholarship has been an option. And I also want to name that as a position of privilege, right? I have learned a lot from colleagues like Dr. Simranjit Singh or Dr. Naisha Jr., where they have been very candid about the fact that they weren't given an option about whether or not they wanted to talk about their work in public. They're called on to talk about their work in public, whether they like it or not. Um, so... Yeah, if there, if there's any space where we can do a little bit of that labor for folks who don't get an option about whether or not they want to, um, that's that's nice as well. It's my scholarly opinion. It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's a product of a different public uh, program, but it, it's something. That I, I have to agree with Megan. It's something you 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 feel like you have to give back because there's so many people that cannot access it are are, are paying mm. the are paying, and you, you you have one I we have the privilege to be able to do this. So yeah, I I completely agree. And kudos for this whole project. I I have a, I have a question that emerged from uh, Elise explaining what Chapel Hill and the whole thing because you're, mm -hmm. you're both US based and of course many of what you recover comes from US education systems and everything when you learn you had an international audience did that change some explanations you had to do did that encourage you to look abroad or further to explain things that are worldly like religion so how, how okay. You're going to get me in trouble now because Elise has always been pushing for a global focus 
for the show. And I, being the wretched Americanist that I am, I'm like, but I know about this part of the U.S. I want to talk about that. So it was never our intention to present a U.S.-based or centric or what have you podcast. I am just loud. Uh, (laughs) No, that's not fair. I think we knew. Yes, actually, that is completely fair. But... Um, it's a great question. I think my work has never been based in the U.S. I am a United States citizen. This is the only place I've ever, you know, I have citizenship. I have a passport. You know, English is, I I study 10 languages, but I claim fluency in English only and American (laughs) English and New York English on top of that. So, like, I think that I think that one of the things I tease Megan, because no matter what we do, Megan brings it back to the United States. What about me? What about my needs? But I think that, but I think that what, what, what our expertise does is actually balance out in the wash, right? So like I do have to do most of the rest of the world. And Megan gets to say Chicago, this one city. Sometimes I know things about Canada and or Mexico, not many, but like. It's true. Sometimes North America. <laughs> All three nations. I had a thing about Haiti. But, but, but I think that, I think that when we learned we were more international, we actually started mm. doing a lot more definitional work than we had been doing from the jump. Like when I listen to early episodes, I'm surprised by how mm. much we don't explain actually and when I listen to more recent episodes, and sometimes I'll call Megan like in a complete tizzy, like I'm writing this episode about Buddhism and I can't even say the word Buddha without explaining why I pronounce it that way. And I'm getting into grammar and I don't know what to do because I'm stuck in a Sanskrit loop. And Megan will be like, no one, no one cares about that. What if you <laughs> say this? And then she will realize halfway through a recording Oh shit, no. no one knows where China is because a yes. lot of our listeners are Americans. Yeah. And Americans yeah. are dumb on geography and other things, but geography. But we've realized that we define a lot more things. And I think Megan has actually been really mindful of making sure that what Americanists get to do as shorthand in the US, remember the Civil War? <laughs> Moving on. When I talk about India, I have to literally be like, Delhi is a city in northern India in this state. Like, I, every word has to be defined. And Megan's done a really good job as the podcast has gone on of really um, denaturalizing all the facts about America that don't get defined. So I think where we've expanded our yeah. definitions for an international audience is, is in explaining American stuff with the, the kind of nuance that we also bring to when I talk about South Asia or when we talk about like other places in the world. But we are, you know, we have an international audience, but it's 20% of our audience. So we are still drawing predominantly from American locations and American listeners. So, so yeah, that's been interesting. I will say we've also leaned into having quite mm-hmm. a lot of listeners from the UK because I consume a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of British media, which means uh, our our media jokes, we have allowed ourselves <laughs> to dabble in like UK-based jokes because we know say, at least I feel like we got a father Ted it. in it's there not somewhere. Just but like this is this is perhaps also a space <laughs> where we are cruising on American imperialism, right? Like we I, d- I know you know. 100%. I just I want them to know that I know. Okay, I'm backing you up. I'm backing you up. Is is that 
uh, uh, unlike many other nation states in the world, we can operate with some degree of certainty that uh, folks from outside what's now the United States are going to recognize at least some of these cultural touchstones in a way that will allow them to to giggle along. Uh, so, well, we can make fast and furious jokes and have zero compunction yet. that no one will not know. That's a global phenomena, even if Vin <laughs> Diesel is uniquely our property. <laughs> and I think we can't do that with, um, we always at the end of our credits, Megan stashes secret audio. So if you listen all the way through our, our podcast episode after the final theme song, mm-hmm. Megan stashes some random audio. And it's been random, like videos I send of my children will find the audio on there because they said something silly or it'll be like mm-hmm. a Bollywood movie. But but we can't bank. We couldn't put that Bollywood stuff in the main part of our right. episode without explaining it to death. Whereas we can put a Fast and Furious joke in. And even if you've never seen the movie, you probably yeah. know what that title is. Or There's only nine so far, so your roll, unless we're counting... Hobbs and Shaw, which is our, there's a whole, anyway. <laughs> I'm not getting into it. It's I'm just 10. saying. I'm sorry. I, from, I've always from I mean, outside I'm the not US. discounting it's Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> I think it's very important. But if we're going to count Hobbs and Shaw, then do we also have to count like the cartoon that happens in the middle of two and three? And it's just, there's a whole conversation to be had there. Anyway, it's all about family and American imperialism. They for asked us to be here. <laughs> this, is all I have. this is all I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. We invited you. We were so- <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we were, good. We were good. expecting yeah, this. We so. You so okay, much. good. <laughs> you, don't, you don't invite guests to the house and then have them like, sleep over accidentally and be like, you invited me. Sorry. <laughs> Well, that's an imperialism yeah. joke right there, too. So. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Your American cram yourself takeovers. in there. Yep. Yes. Anyway, more questions? <laughs> yeah, I do. So, um, you know that this, uh, this season that we're recording is on Feel Good Academia. So, we wanted to know which were your your yeah most memorable um, things that happened Uh at the podcast, the things you, yeah, what were your best moments? Oh no, I'm going to tell you this and it's going to make me cry again because it makes me cry every time. <sighs> just crying it's all true. over the just Give the people It's what Pisces they want. season, okay? Like this is whatever. So at the, the in December of 2020, our uh, public, uh, public scholarship and religion goals hero, Christian Peterson, who's also obviously a friend and we adore him, contacted a bunch of folks who had been teaching with the podcast and asked them to do course evaluations uh, of Keeping It 101. And so a number of folks who we deeply respect as scholars, who we value as colleagues and friends, and who also had just finished their first full semester of COVID teaching took time to record kind things about keeping it 101 and how much it had uh, meant to them and how they had used it. And it was just, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just like straight up bald in my kitchen because it was unexpected and, and so kind at a 
time where I, I was exhausted and we collectively were exhausted and it was hard to feel good at a job that I had been doing for more than a decade and thought I was good at and I was working the hardest I've ever worked and I felt maybe a third as good as I usually feel about that work. Uh, so hearing that anything that we had done um, made folks' lives easier and, and maybe a little bit brighter was overwhelmingly amazing. And I, I really, I can't even think about it without getting weepy. So, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a highlight. That was definitely a highlight. That that Because it was mm-hmm. a surprise to us. Like, we did not know this was happening. Um, and again, it's less like what people, I mean, people said some like truly amazing things, but it was less what people said that that they had yeah. taken the time to say it because no one has time generally as a modern condition, but certainly in a yeah. And at the end of the semester and it just. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And then Christian to put it all together, like just over yeah. the top, beyond the call of duty, <laughs> one might say. Um, I think if I were going to add, to, first of all, I love this question. This yeah. feel good. I love the season premise. I think so often in academia, everything is tear it down. It's terrible. It's harassing. It's bleak. And all of that's true. But it's also what you make it, right? And I think think Megan and I take really seriously that you can build community and you do not need to participate in communities that do not want you in them to the best of your ability, right? And that's a privilege to be able to say, I'm out or I don't talk to you or I don't cite your work. Like that's a crazy privilege and I appreciate that. But I think that what's been really heartwarming and just overwhelming to me is the fact that people thank us for making their teaching easier. I have two children. They were two and six when the pandemic started. And this has been a dire, almost the entirety of this podcast has been that door behind me that y'all can see. I recorded our first 12 episodes with both of my kids literally right outside (laughs) that door, sometimes interrupting because, because no one was watching them right now because mom and dad are at work and we are nowhere because there is nowhere for us to be because the universe has closed. So so the fact that we have made anyone's life easier in a moment where our lives have felt impossible yeah. has been um, just the icing on the top of the cake of, okay, I'm doing this for a reason because, you know, I don't, I don't need to teach my day one stuff in a public format. Like that doesn't do anything for me for my career, really. I mean, it makes me feel good egotistically because like, oh, look at all those downloads. Ooh, I'm a big shot. Like whatever I feel in the moment. But I know that that's not true. This doesn't get me a raise. This doesn't contribute to my tenure portfolio. Like none of that. But that some teacher who's having a hard time could play this and put this on their syllabus and not have to think about it, that I bought you a little bit of time. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah that's an incredible feeling and that's an incredible service, but also it's an incredible set of knowledge. Like, thank you for sharing that with me because I wouldn't have known that. Otherwise I just talked to Megan on a screen (laughs) and we put go in the buzzsprout and I just go, it was like, I don't know who's listening. So I think all of those sharing moments have felt really um, 
just yeah. buoying and and um, yeah. uplifting. Yeah, I think the only thing I want to add there is how grateful we are that so many smart folks want to do this with us. We have had some just absolutely amazingly brilliant and kind colleagues and friends join us on the pod. And that has felt amazing because, again, we have done all of our interviewing during a damn pandemic. And the fact... We can't, we can't buy anybody no. a beer. We can't take you out for dinner. We can't, none of the stuff that comes with sociality, right. we can't do And it. folks have showed up and shown out. And I, yeah, I just feel really, really lucky that we got to chat with so many smart folks and that they wanted to like come and play with us. That feels really fun. I was just uh, re-listening to a conversation that we had with Dr. Judith Weisenfeld uh, on my commute last week. And the, the generosity of that conversation and the, the willingness to kind of wrestle with her own theories while also like making Simpsons jokes. I forgot that she compared herself to Mr. Burns, like sucking the life out of Bart. Just plus. And she also really pushed us to, to think about like what work we're doing that we're proud of, which gave us the prompt for the rest of our, our interviews for the next season. It was like, what are our guests proud of having done? What do they want to hold up as something that they've accomplished? And that just, that is an academy that feels good to be part of. And how can we amplify that? Exactly. That's the best part too. Is like, what are you proud of? What can we do? How can we use the tiniest sliver of influence that we have on Twitter, which like, what am I even saying? <laughs> but how can we use that so that someone else feels the love of the like mm-hmm. or the love of the retweet or just has someone else put their eyeballs on something they've written that they're proud of. I think all of those spaces feel like the Academy we want to be a part of. Yes. And so we have a responsibility to build it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, The the only thing left is another feel good, but outside of academia, what do you do to turn off that voice in your head that says working, you need to work, you need to do something. What do you do to, to Leandro, do you tur- does that voice turn off for you? Because it does not turn off for me. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, just wondering. How do you try? I'm teasing. I I know. The, I I I got it. I was just. I, it doesn't shut off for me. So I tend. So I I watch a lot of TV. I love TV. I have always loved TV. It is my favorite. That is my number one hobby is I watch a lot of TV. I am currently in a Korean drama Mm K-hole. I am in it. I will never leave it. I have started to consider learning Korean because I'm frustrated by the subtitling because I know I'm missing something. Uh, My partner very desperately wants me to not learn Korean because I'm not fun when I learn a language. He's been around for 20 years, so he knows I'm not fun when I learn a language. Uh, but but right now I'm in the thick of Korean drama. But I also, I parent two children under the age of eight. So I don't know what free time is. I just mm, drink a lot of wine. <laughs> Goodwin, what do you do to take your brain off things? I mean, again, doesn't actually shut off. But if I add different sensory inputs, sometimes I can focus on those too. Uh, so I have dogs and they are ridiculous. So the dog walking and particularly the getting of a dog who does not understand, no, I can't do this right now. We can go for a walk in three hours during the pandemic has forced me to break up my day. So that's really good. 
Uh, I was back into martial arts for a hot minute, but then I had to stop going to the gym because COVID got bad again. So I am hoping to go back next month. But the real answer, honestly, is television. It's 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 so much TV. Elise got me into Love Island UK, and I have watched <laughs> a delight, a disgusting delight. Yeah, it's so gross, and I love it so much. And it's also like, and I, I suspect I'm not alone in the academy, but like I didn't hang out with popular, beautiful people. Like I. I think all people are beautiful, but conventionally attractive folks whose maintenance of their conventional attractiveness is a central concern are foreign to me. And so I feel like I'm watching David Attenborough. It's fascinating and so gross. And I feel like I'm learning while also muffling a lot of ambient anxiety. We, we also read a lot of fiction. I well, feel sure. like we pass fiction mass and sure, sure, sure. Like, I mean, we've got the normal stuff too, but yeah, crappy reality yeah. TV. Chef mm-hmm, kiss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give it to me. Yeah, love it. I want something that's not about global I, I think hate. We have, yeah. we have another gu- guilty yeah. pleasure like this. It, it, it's, before. Yeah. Yeah, two of them actually. So it's 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 kind of a trope, like people saying yeah. trashy TV, wine, and going, yeah. going for a walk with the dogs. That's that's yeah. basically. What I live in do. I live yeah. in Maine, and right. recreational marijuana is legal here, so that has featured heavily. In the last several months of the pandemic, highly recommended, no pun intended. Also, no one should be in jail for marijuana-related crimes. And also, we shouldn't have jails. <laughs> Real range of opinions. I do. Yeah. I, I was tell me what I think, I will tell you all of it. <laughs> okay. No, I couldn't. That wouldn't be appropriate. Next time. Very private. All right. <laughs> so I think we're. Uh, I, I'm done. I, I'm done with all of my questions. I think you are. Yeah. I, um, so. Yeah. I guess we, what we usually do at this point is just what our listeners can take away from all this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be difficult. It was it's so much. All <laughs> over the place. I guess. Start with prison abolition and work backwards. <laughs> Okay, now, wait, I need another hour for that. <laughs> notes. Um, I guess I, I'll go back to the beginning when you said how it started. It was complaining, right? But complaining <laughs> to, to bring joy, to make it fun, to make it joyful. And uh, with this world building more than or destroying, and, well, some were destroying, you know, prison <laughs> again. Mm. And always... We heard this, uh, we, we have talked about this in other episodes, but here too, the sense of community and going back to mm-hmm. the communities and building that community. So I guess that's what I got for this time. That's great. Uh, <laughs> no, I completely um, agree. Like it's, um, yeah, it's uh, renting, fun and community. I like all of those. <laughs> Absolutely. So big, big thank you uh, for this wonderful episode yeah thanks for being here with us thanks for replying in an instant when i wrote you this uh, message on twitter (laughs) i actually didn't expect you to reply (laughs) just just in general because yeah you know you can just text people on twitter you never know if they actually read it or not i don't know we we read our twitter a lot well thank you for having us and thank you for doing a whole season on like kindness Mm -hmm. and uplift. I think that's awesome. And we can't wait to see what comes from you all. So So excited. 
thank you for having us. Yay. Keep doing the good work.